Luke chapter 23, verse 33 to 43. It's a long passage, but because it's so important for what we are talking about. And I'm reading it, God, the New King James Version, and I want to greet everybody who's here today and welcome you in Jesus' name. It reads as follows, and when they had come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the one on the left hand. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers who were with them were sneering at him, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Then one of the criminals who was being hanged also blasphemed him and said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other criminal answered, rebuking him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you and I are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say unto you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Can I hear a good amen? amen? This story of the cross, we know that even historically is true. I think of the many things that the cross represents for me. The cross of Jesus represents hope. A place of hope. We see two criminals who are being crucified and they're dying for the wrongs they've committed. The one, on the other hand, is mocking Jesus. The other one, who probably is in the last stages of his life, losing his life, suffering for the wrongs that everybody knew. That's the reason he was on the cross. This guy hadn't lived right. He hadn't done anything right. And now he is just on the verge of dying, just about to cross over to the other side of eternity. And it is at that time that this man looks at Jesus Christ and talks to Christ about his life. And I'll talk about it in a short while. But this man, when he talks to Christ, even at this stage of his life, Jesus is still never too late because God is never too late. Jesus 
in spite of this man being at this stage, still gives hope because God is a God of hope. And he's going to give you that hope here today in Jesus' name. You know, the age that we are living in is called many things. <laughs> Information age, atomic age, computer age, space age, post-Christian age, technological age, globalization age, IR4 age, all kinds of things. But let's be honest, as we look at the unfolding events in our world, much as this world seems to be so progressive and so on, let's tell the truth. I think we can put a different label. And I think the label we can put on this age, we can put the label the age of despair. Because the truth is this, we are living in a world of despair. We are living in a time where hope is leaking out of people. The current challenges of our world haven't made anything easy. The wars that we're hear, hearing about. There's the Russia attacking the Ukraine. What about the cases of suicide bombings? What about economic recessions? Natural disasters due to climate change. What about the spectra of terrorism, famine, pestilence, death of people, an increasing amount of pessimism? When you look into the people of the world, all around the world, people are losing hope. It's not only people in the so-called developing nations. All over the world, people are losing hope. We are living in a time of despair, where people's hope is gone. Here we are now, we are just recovering from the global pandemic of the coronavirus, which to a large extent really, really devastated many people's lives. We lost our loved ones. We lost our livelihoods. In the process, we lost our vision. We lost our dreams. And we see in our nation the prevalence of emotional breakdown, people taking their lives. Because it looks like there's nothing to live for. Seems like there's no hope. And all of this is telling us that people are feeling overwhelmed. People are feeling a sense of despair, a sense of pessimism. We see people fighting for survival, resorting to desperate measures of sinking into despair. We hear, we watch on our news all the time things that are going on all over our country. Hikes, come okay, Operation Tudula, come on, okay, this, come on, okay, this. Everything is everywhere. And when you look and you see and look into the eyes of our young people and when they look at things happening and all the things we're hearing about what's going on, the money that's been stolen, all kinds of things, it can bring despair. Yeah. It surely can bring despair. And so today, as we gather here today, in this age of despair, can I take a few minutes to give you hope and offer you hope? Not hope that comes from me, but hope that comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who gave a criminal hope just a few minutes before he died, is the same Jesus who is here today because he says when you gather in his name, he will be there among us. You may not see him, you may not feel him, you may not taste him, you may not touch him, but he is standing right next to you, right where you are. And he wants to give you hope. 
You see, when Jesus died on the cross, most people don't notice this. At the era in which Jesus died on the cross, the world at that time was battling as well with despair. Let me give you a bit of a background. The beginnings of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, even when you read the book of Acts, it's marked by an era of despair. And this became the backdrop of the Christian hope. You see, God works in the midst of despair. God reaches people who are hopeless. God stretches his hands to those who feel like life is seeping out of them. That's the kind of God he is. We know that in the time of Jesus, we are told by historians, the socio-political and economic conditions of the people in the time of Christ were intolerable. 50% of the people in the place where Jesus was were slaves. Most of them were hungry. There are those who had jobs. And in these jobs, the government at the time was demanding 50% of their income. We are still at 40 runa. Sing on. Even if it's not so nice. We note as well that at that time, there was constant rebellion against the government of the day. Uprising. People are advocating people to abolish exorbitant taxes. Jesus, when he was crucified, the people who had followed him, who had hung on everywhere he had spoken, who had believed everywhere he had spoken, it seemed like when Jesus was crucified, their dream came to a crushing halt. Here's this man who's healed us, who's preached good words, who's given us food when we're hungry. Here's this man who gave us a sense of hope and a sense of direction. And we thought this guy is like another MacGyver. He cannot be destroyed, just like Superman. And all of a sudden, Superman is being hung on the cross. And Superman is dying. And people who had followed him and left their jobs and left their families, all of a sudden, it looked like their dream came to a crushing halt and the bottom of their container just dropped out. As a result, the disciples were scattered, the Bible tells us. They all went different ways. You can almost imagine what some of them were being told from home. Can I all right. And so they were filled with a lot of helplessness. But thank God, when Jesus rose from the dead, after his resurrection, new hope emerged. The Spirit of God came upon the people in the upper room. And the church started advancing. It looked like new hope was there. But right on the doorstep of the new hope, persecution came. We knew about a man by the name of Emperor Nero who executed thousands of Christians, stoned many believers, hanged many of them on the cross for following Christ. And he said, when I'm going to hang you, I'm going to hang you upside down. We hear how he beheaded many, fed many to lions. And when you read the New Testament, you, you don't have an idea that this New Testament was written in a time of great persecution. Because the way the writers are writing, the way they are so upbeat in what they are saying, it doesn't sound like these are people who are going through problems. Because there is something about the presence of Jesus in somebody's life. That Jesus helps you to go through a time of despair. 
Jesus takes your hand. Even when things are not good and he walks with you. And he says, I'll be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you through thick and thin. I will be with you when they throw you in the lion's den. I will be with you when they throw you in the fire. I will be with you. And this same Jesus will be with you. And this same Jesus wants to be in your life today. And so you read the Bible. I mean, just to read a few scriptures. Philippians 4.4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Ah! Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say again, rejoice. In Philippians 4.6, it says, Don't worry about anything. Don't worry, man. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. What? Shouldn't worry? What do you mean? I mustn't worry. But you see, the lives of the early believers were no less hard. They were not less difficult than our lives. But when we look at their behavior, you see a people filled with hope. You see a people filled with expectation. Why? Because the scriptures are true in Nehemiah 8.10 where it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You see, it is God who is able to sustain us. It's only God who can give us hope in a hopeless time. Only God can give us hope when a house is breaking. Only God can give us hope when we've been diagnosed with an incurable disease. Only God can give us hope when I've lost my job. Only God can give us hope when my child is on Yahope. Only God can give us hope when I'm bound by alcohol and I can't break through. Only God can give me hope. Only God can give me hope when I'm overwhelmed by the things that are going on in the world. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalms 118 verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. And be glad in it. And I want to say to you, today is the day that the Lord has made for you. He's made it for you to take you out of despair. To give you hope in spite of a hopeless situation that is surrounding us. Let's go back to our main text. In our main text, we see Jesus being led to the Calvary to be crucified this is a place where all people who were found guilty were crucified. Calvary was a mountain outside of the city. And the word Calvary literally means the place of the skull or the place of a curse. This is where people who were societal outcasts were taken, crucified as criminals. Jesus, in spite of him not having done anything wrong, when he was crucified, he cried out to God that God should forgive those who were doing this hideous act on him. In the process, the soldiers were mocking him, gambling and dividing his clothes among themselves. Others were standing by, looking on, sneering, saying, yeah, you thought you were the man. You saved others. How is it that you can't save yourself? But then, this Jesus who was crucified between two criminals, one of the criminals starts hailing abuse at him. Are you not the Christ? If you are the Christ, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you save us? But the other criminal rebuked him and says, hey, 
Don't do that. This man hasn't done anything wrong. We are all under the same sentence. We're all going to die. But this guy really hasn't done anything wrong. You are doing this in a wrong way because you are getting what you deserve. I'm getting what I deserve. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And this man turns to Jesus. And this is where I want to go. And says to Jesus, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Remember me, Lord, because my life has gone in the wrong direction. Remember me. Remember me, Lord, because I'm at the last stages of my life. I'm about to die and I don't know about my eternity. I've done things the wrong way. But now that I meet you, just on the eve of my life slipping away, I still believe that you can do something about this. This man, even if he was a criminal, because you see, God never looks at the things that you've done. God looks at your heart and your approach to him. Jesus looks at this criminal. This man who had lived a life violating others. We don't know what he did. Maybe he murdered people. Maybe he raped people. Maybe he stole. Maybe he was doing crime. And yet, when he turns to Jesus, Jesus doesn't even think twice. Jesus immediately gives this man hope. Why does Jesus give this man hope? Because this man was honest about his condition. That's all God wants. We don't have to come and tell God our sins or anything, but we've got to admit, God, I need your help. That's all God wants. That's all God wants. We don't have to come tell somebody else. We can just come to God. We can indicate to God by responding and saying, God, I'm the one. I need your help. He became honest. He was aware that his efforts to change his life had failed. Because all of us at some point, we try to stop our lives from going the wrong way. But it still goes the wrong way. This man acknowledges that my life has gone the wrong direction. I have gone into destruction. However, I'm going to turn to the one on the cross. I'm going to turn to him and I'm going to find hope in him. In other words, he is saying to Jesus, Jesus, is there hope for me? Will, will you remember me? Is there hope for me? This man somehow understands that events at this last moment of his life on earth, it's not yet too late to call for God's help. He understands that God is never too late. He understands that there's always hope with God. The cross is the way of hope. It's never too late. But what I like most of all, this man decides to say, I'm not going to go with what the crowd is doing. The crowd is nearing, it's jeering. The crowd is mocking. The guy who is my accomplice, who's hanging on the other side, is also mocking. I'm going to be true to myself. There are many people who are never true to themselves. They are afraid to make a decision to become true to themselves and say, you know what, if I was to tell the truth, I need God's help. This man doesn't care what others are saying. He says, I'm going to come just as I am. This man says, I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to call on Jesus who's hanging side by side with me. I'm not going to wait. 
I'm not going to look to my friend. I'm not going to follow what my friend is doing. I'm not going to follow my friend who's making the wrong choice. Lord, remember me. And in response, Jesus responds immediately and says, you've looked to me for hope. You've called upon me for help. And I'll help you now. He says, today I will be with you in paradise. Not going to postpone, I'll help you now. Let me close. Why is the cross our hope? Number one, the cross is our hope because it is through the cross where there is forgiveness of sin. Nobody can forgive our sin. Only God can. Number two, the cross is a place of hope because God frees us from a spirit of condemnation of walking around with guilt in our lives, feeling like God is about to judge us. God frees us from that guilty feeling over the things that we've done. Number three, the cross is a place of hope because this man, even if he was dying, he was given a new start. He was given a new life. From beyond this encounter, his life would be different. His destiny would be different. So the cross of Jesus Christ will give you, my friend, a new start. Whatever it is that has happened in your life in the past, God wants to give you a new start. Number four, the cross of Jesus Christ gives hope because it's a place of healing. God heals us. Heals our bodies. Heals our bad experiences. Heals us from our past. Number five, the cross is a place of deliverance. Whatever we are bound by, whatever has tormented our lives, the cross becomes a place where we get delivered. We get free from whatever it is that has bound our lives. Number six, the cross is a place of deliverance because it is at the cross where we are freed from curses. Very interesting. People in the day when Jesus was crucified, they understood the meaning of it. Because in that culture, and according to their understanding, scripturally, anybody who has been crucified, they said the curse of God has come upon them. And so the book of Galatians says that Jesus became a curse for us. He took your curse. He took my curse. You don't have to walk in curses. You don't have to be bound by evil powers. He took your curse. He took my curse so that God's blessing can rest upon your life. God wants you to be a blessed person, not a cursed person. And so the cross becomes a place of hope because God can free us. Whatever curse has been put upon our lives, whatever has been done upon us, God can free us. Number seven, the cross becomes a place of hope because we have victory over demonic powers. Spirits of darkness that try to rule our lives. And number eight, the cross becomes a place where we start a life of new hope and new vision. And today, I want to offer you this hope. It's called Jesus Christ. Jesus said, John chapter 112 says about Jesus, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. All you need, my sister, my brother, 
is to receive him. You ask me, how do I do that? It's simple. Just by a simple prayer of saying, Jesus, come into my heart. See the man on the cross? He didn't say too many things. <laughs> All he said was, Lord, remember me. It doesn't take long prayers. It just takes a faithful heart. And if you mean every word, Lord, remember me. Lord, here is my life. Here's my broken life. I want to bring my life to you. And I believe you, just like this man on the cross, God can change your life. God can bring hope to you. God can give you a new start. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Bless you, Lord. Just bow your heads, everybody. Close your eyes. Nobody moving around, please. Let that be your prayer. Let that be your prayer. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Jesus stands next to you like he hang next to the criminal. He's looking at you with those loving eyes. And he's asking, do you want me to give you hope? Do you want me to give you hope? It's for you today to say yes or to say no. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I really need Jesus in my life. I want to invite him to come into my life. Change me because I need him. I realize that he loves me. He's aware of me. I realize that he's concerned about my life and he's the only one who can bring hope in my life. And I need you to pray for me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If that is you and you need the prayer, would you raise your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you. Just raise it high without any shame. Just raise it all the way high. All the way high. Raise it up. Raise it up. That's right. All over this place. Jesus is the one who can give hope. No one else can. No church can. 
no minister can, no pastor can, only Jesus can give hope. As you raise your hand, you are saying, God, I've heard your message. I've heard what you said about my life. I'm raising my hand. Maybe you are still doubting. Maybe you are still there, seated, and you haven't raised your hand yet. Raise your hand with all these people. Just join them. Raise your hand and say, yes, please count me in. I also want to come. I want Jesus to come into my life. I see hands everywhere. Thank you all for the hands because Jesus, Jesus is about to give hope to somebody's life today. I ask everybody who raised their hands, would you stand on your feet, please, right where you are. Just stand on your feet. Stand on your feet all over. Stand on your feet. That's right. That's right. Stand on your feet. You know why we're excited? Because we know what Jesus has done for us. We know how Jesus gave us hope. You know why we clap for you? Because we know how Jesus is going to change your life. It's not a story. It's not a fad. It's real. Jesus changes lives. Hallelujah. Now, you can put your hands down. Just remain standing on your feet, please. There may be somebody you are afraid to raise your hand, but you see all these people standing. You say, I Just stand with them. Just stand with them. Just stand with them. Right where you are. Just go ahead. Stand. There, there, there you are. God bless you. God bless you. Is there somebody else? I say, I'm joining in. I'm standing as well. God bless you. Come on. I'm standing as well. I'm standing. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. God bless you, young lady. God bless you. Let me see you. Let me see you. I'm standing with them. I'm, I'm not remaining behind. I'm, I'm, I'm standing. I'm standing with them. I'm standing with them. Hallelujah. Wow. Now, one more time, just before we pray for you, because I'm going to be praying for you in a short while. You may be sitting next to somebody. Maybe you brought them. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's intimidating to be in this place. So just um challenge you as my friend, okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll stand with you. Just tell them what's it and stand with them. Lord, I just give them an encouragement. Is there anybody in the place? Just stand with them. There they are, there they are. Come on, just stand with them. All over. There they are. Come on. There they are. Come on, stand with them. Don't let them stand by themselves. Stand with them. Stand, there they are. Stand with them. Stand with them. Stand with them. Just give them an encouragement. Do men are won't you I'm standing with you. I'm standing with you. Come on, come on, come on. There they are. Stand with them. Say, you know what, my friend? Don't don't worry. You're not in a machine. You're not in a machine. Listen to me. Listen to me. In this place, you are looking at a broken people. We. You are looking at a people who have problems. Who have issues. The only difference in our lives is Jesus Christ. Where you are standing, the decision you are making, I made it many years ago. I was, I was, I was 17 years old when I made this decision. The 5th of August, 1978. I stood on my feet to accept Jesus just like you. I know the questions you are having. I know you, you may not fully understand what's going on, Mara. Your heart wants to follow God. That's all you know. You may not be able to explain it, but something is happening on the inside of you. And I can tell you, that's the only difference in our lives that Jesus makes. Is there still somebody who's still seated? Maybe you want to stand with them. Come on. Just stand on your feet and say, you know what? I'm joining in. I'm joining in. Hallelujah. This is important to us. That's why we take the time. It matters. Your soul matters to God. Your eternity matters to God. Your eternity matters to God. The fact that you must have hope matters to God. This is what church is about. This is what church is about. This is why we are here. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Now, this is what I want to do. I'm going to invite every one of you who is standing, together with those who are accompanying other people and you are standing with them, Please take your belongings. Don't, take, don't leave your belongings behind. And just walk from where you stand. Just come walk to the front. I want to pray with you right here. Just come right now. Give them a big hand.